Today, we are beginning a new six-week series called Victory, the Gospel Foretold and Fulfilled. What we're hoping to do over the next few weeks is to share what God has revealed in the Gospel of Luke in the closing seven chapters there, beginning in Luke 18, leading all the way up to Easter, the great victory fulfilled, and beyond that as we get to be witnesses of this great victory. Today we'd like to start in Luke 18 with Jesus foretelling exactly what was going to happen, the gospel foretold. Victory, the gospel foretold. Here's what Luke wrote in Luke 18, verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Let's pray together. Father, the gospel is good news. Not always understood by some of us the first time we hear it, I know certainly for me. But by your grace, you break through. And the gospel can bring life to those who believe and receive it. Because the gospel speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, you are the life. Over these next few weeks, if you grant us this privilege, it would be our hope that you would unfold for us from your word this great victory, the greatest victory ever come to mankind. A victory that not only saves us now, that gives us hope and assurance for our eternity. This is the victory, the gospel foretold and fulfilled. And may you be honored by all these things we learn together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Satan thought he had just won. He deceived Adam and Eve. He got them to sin and rebel against God. The relationship between God and man was broken. Eternal life for man and God's glory in man was lost. Satan thought he had just won. But all he had really done was sow the seeds of his own ultimate defeat. For God wasted no time in foretelling the victory. In Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God made known right away that there was a plan that through the woman would come a man so great and powerful that even though he would be struck on the heel with a wound by the evil one, it would be this man who would crush Satan's head and destroy him. What would look like in the future another victory for Satan and defeat of God would actually be at the cross the great demonstration of God's victory, the victory that is spelled out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, as I mentioned, we're beginning a new mini-series focused on the gospel, 
the great news of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the victory, the gospel foretold and fulfilled. It is the unfolding drama of God's victory over sin and death and the grave in these wrapping up chapters in the Gospel of Luke. It was a victory that God wanted no one to miss. It was a victory God wanted no one to miss. So not only throughout the Old Testament prophecies, but at least three times in detail, Jesus himself tells how the gospel is going to unfold and lead to God's ultimate victory. In Jesus' very clear predictions, the first happens in Caesarea Philippi in Luke 9, beginning in verse 21. The second takes place after the transfiguration in Luke 9, verse 43. And this last and most direct one, while they're on their way up to Jerusalem, where the good news of the gospel is about to be fulfilled, which is why Luke wrote, he took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will deliver them, they will deliver him over to the Gentiles, the Romans. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. This is the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel we're remembering today in communion. Communion is our God-ordained remembrance of the death of Jesus and all that it means for us who believe. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. We've shared very carefully many times that eating this meal will not make you a Christian. This will not get your sins forgiven. It won't earn you any grace or get you into heaven. But eating this meal the way God intended will allow us to remember again of God's great victory over sin, death, and the grave in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because communion reminds us of the gospel, the good news of God's greatest victory. How did Jesus foretell the gospel and this victory? Luke reminds us he did it by saying that his victory would be the fulfillment of Scripture. That his victory would be won through his death. And that his victory would be seen and fulfilled in his resurrection. Jesus foretold in the gospel that his victory would be fulfill the fulfillment of the scriptures. He said in verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Prophecies are not merely predictions. They are promises to be fulfilled. In the 16th century, an astrologer by the name of Michel de Nostradam became famous for 942 four-line poems that he crafted that he claimed would predict the future into the year 3797, another 1,700 years or more from now. Some claim he predicted the death of Henry II of France, the French Revolution, the rise of Napoleon, the rise of Hitler, and most recently attributed with predicting Donald Trump coming to the presidency. Now you probably know him by his more common tabloid name, Nostradamus. But as some experts agree, one thing that helps so many people see Nostradamus' predictions as being fulfilled is his intentional vagueness. 
His prophecies are so general, you can find all kinds of meanings in what he said. I'll give you just one example. He predicted that the sea would one day become so hot, fish would become half-cooked. Now, through the years, that prophecy has been attributed to the fulfillment in volcanoes that have flowed into the ocean all the way to the fulfillment of global warming, which is no longer global warming because it isn't actually getting warmer. It's called climate change, which is the kind of change God's been doing from the very beginning and is in full of control right now. So I'm not sure what the whole deal is about, but Nostradamus didn't predict that. So God's prophecies are not vague. They are specific. They are not predictions. They are promises to be fulfilled. And Jesus told the disciples that the events to take place in Jerusalem would be the fulfillment of what the prophets had foretold. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, verse 31, and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Everything written by the prophets. Everything written, about the prophets by, written by the prophets about Jesus is pretty extensive. Over 300 specific prophecies, 60 major ones. They foretell his birth, death, burial, resurrection, and a multitude of details surrounding each of those events. To date, Jesus has already fulfilled most of them. In fact, scientist and mathematician Peter Stoner once calculated that the chance of one man fulfilling just 48 of these more than 300 prophecies, just 48 of them, was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That is 1 in 10 with 157 zeros after it. Josh McDowell famously put it in an illustration we could probably grasp like this. He said it would be equivalent to covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and putting one silver dollar in the state that was red, blindfolding a man, having him walk out into that two-foot-deep sea of silver dollars across anywhere in Texas, having him bend over, it would be the same probability that the first one he would pick up out of that mass of silver dollars would be the red one. It is a mathematical impossibility. And yet Jesus hadn't fulfilled 48 of them. He's fulfilled 60 major ones and over 300 others. God wanted us to be sure that these were not just predictions. These were promises to be fulfilled. And they aren't vague. In fact, I don't have time today to unfold some of these, but it's pretty specific. God said to the prophet Micah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, born of a virgin. In Zechariah 9, he would be riding into Jerusalem on a foal of a donkey's colt and be hailed as king. Psalm 41, he'd be betrayed by a friend with whom he ate. Zechariah said he would be forsaken by his disciples as they were scattered. He would be mocked and spit on. He would die by crucifixion. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb and he would rise again and not ever stay in the grave and hundreds more like this, very specific and easy to see if he fulfilled it or not, which is why the Apostle Paul said that the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, foretold in the scriptures, has now been fulfilled according to the scriptures. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 1? 
Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or do you remember what he wrote to the Corinthian church when he presented to them the most important message, the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Look at this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the what? Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul said, I didn't make this up. The gospel is the fulfillment of everything God has promised. It was foretold by the prophets, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of God's victory over sin, death, and the grave. This victory through the gospel was foretold so that no one would miss it. Luke said Jesus went up to Jerusalem to fulfill what God had promised. Not only the fulfillment of the scriptures, but Jesus foretold in the gospel that his victory would be won through his death. He said in verse 32, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him, and they will kill him. Through death would come the victory. I don't go to the theater to see a lot of movies. Most of them aren't worth watching. But I remember 1977, I was a brand new believer, sitting in a theater in Seattle, Washington, to watch this low-budget film that everybody said would probably not last in its showings throughout the week. The name of this thing was called Star Wars. And when I sat there, I had no idea what I was going to see, but if you have ever seen the movie and if you sat in the theater at the time, you'd never seen anything like this. When that name Star Wars hit the screen with that boom, ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, and that theme thing started, and they're scrolling up the story, you're sitting there going, whoa. And then when that thing fades off into the distance, you think, man, I just recovered from that, and all of a sudden the Star Destroyer flies right over your head, and you're like in it, sort of. And it's like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this. Well, if you haven't seen the Star Wars saga, it's the classic story of good and evil. It's the Empire versus the Republic. It's the bad guys versus the good guys. And in this unfolding first story, it was the story of these two old friends, Luke, uh, Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, who get torn apart by the dark side of the Force, and you have Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, bad and good. And ultimately, it comes to a head when these two friends come together again at long last, and they're going to battle it out. Evil versus good. And so they got their lightsabers out there blazing away in this scene, if you remember it. And Obi-Wan stops and says to Darth Vader, you can't possibly win. For if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. 
And then to the horror of everybody watching this thing, Obi-Wan shuts his lightsaber off and he stands there like this. And Darth Vader swings his lightsaber and hits him and kills him. And it just folds down on the clothes and Obi-Wan is gone. His body isn't there. And what looks like, oh no, they can't possibly win. But when he laid down his life, what he said was true. He was become more powerful than he could possibly imagine. And what was actually happening in that moment was the victory was beginning. You know, today when I look at that scene, I see it completely different. Because now I'm reminded that Jesus did the same thing. Satan thought he was going to win by striking Jesus down at the cross. But the opposite was true. When Jesus laid down his life, he was laying down his life to become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Because now this Jesus was going to come to live in all of us who would believe. And the power of his gospel was going to magnify through all who would become his witnesses. Satan knew that God had predicted the seed of the woman would eventually crush his head. And so Satan thought he could win by killing Jesus. But he was wrong. In fact, he tried to kill Jesus early on as a baby when he incited Herod to kill all the babies in Bethlehem two years old and under in the slaughter of the innocents. You remember that? But Satan failed. He tried to kill him in Nazareth when Jesus preached the gospel at the synagogue in his hometown. And when he said in the gospel of Luke, the fulfillment of these scriptures is in your presence today. And they got all angry and grabbed him in a crowd and brought him to the edge of a cliff at the city to throw him off to kill him. But Jesus walked right through because his hour had not yet come and Satan failed again. He tried to drown Jesus one night in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, so powerful a storm that even hardened fishermen were afraid they were going to drown. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. They woke him up, and he stood and stilled the storm. Satan failed again. He tried to beat Jesus to death by the scourging of the soldiers, but Jesus didn't die. Satan failed again. So Satan stirred up the crowd to have Pilate hand Jesus over to be executed, and when Jesus died, Satan thought he had won. But in reality, God and Christ were in control of all the details, working out exactly what God ordained would happen. Not Satan's victory, Satan's defeat. Satan failed because he, he failed, to, failed to realize what so many others did, is that you can't kill Jesus. You can't take his life. He is life. You can't take it because he was going to lay it down. Do you remember what Jesus said earlier in John 10, verse 14? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Nobody took his life. They couldn't. He is the life. He laid his life down at just the right time. He controlled all the events that were going on, the people, the circumstances, to accomplish God's ultimate promise, victory of the gospel foretold and fulfilled.
That's why in John 19, Jesus is hanging on a cross. Verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. In fact, in the Greek, it's one word, finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Which is why Paul would later write in Romans 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just the right time. Satan didn't choose the time. The Jews didn't choose the time. Jesus chose the time to lay down his life for you and me. Jesus' death was not Satan's victory. It marked the beginning of his great defeat. And Jesus foretold that his victory would be won through his death which is why he said he will be delivered over, verse 32, to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. He controlled all that. Which is why when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church about the great victory of Jesus, he quoted from the prophets. Hosea 13. When he said to them in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, those now famous words, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. People, do you understand today that if you believe this gospel, you believe this victory that Christ won at the cross, Do you realize today, if Christ lives in you, you cannot die? Because you have the one who is the life living in you. Your body can die, but you never will. Because nobody could take Jesus' life. He laid it down. Now he's come to live in you and me. The victory has been won. You and I in Christ are going to live forever with him. And not only scripture fulfilled and won through his death... But Jesus foretold in the gospel that his victory would be seen and fulfilled in his resurrection. For he said in verse 33, on the third day, he will rise again. You see, for two days after the death of Jesus, Satan, the demonic forces, the religious leaders, and all that opposed him were rejoicing. Jesus was dead. His body was in the tomb. The disciples were defeated. They were disillusioned and in hiding. And the threat to their rule was gone. For two days, they patted each other on the back and celebrated their great victory. But what they forgot was, Jesus said, on the third day. (laughs) On the third day, you will see who's really won. On the third day, he said, he will rise again. The resurrection of Jesus is God's display of victory in his triumph over sin, death, and the grave. The disciples didn't understand it then until after the resurrection. Satan didn't even understand the fullness of his defeat until after the resurrection. 
God defeated Satan and the power of death once and for all and set those who believe in Jesus free from the power of the fear of death. Hebrews 2 verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Paul took that great truth, coupled it now with the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Hosea, and in 1 Corinthians 15, gave the whole picture. Look at this, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is why Peter, Peter, who denied that he even knew him before the resurrection, would now stand up in Jerusalem at Pentecost after the resurrection and in the power of the Holy Spirit preach the great truth of the gospel victory that had just been won. Do you remember in Acts 2, verse 22? Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The gospel foretold and now fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Victory foretold and fulfilled. But it says in verse 34, the disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They didn't know what he was talking about because they hadn't yet seen the fullness of the victory. People, the question is today, have you seen it? Seriously, have you seen it? You have just heard the gospel this morning. The good news that sin is serious. It separates us from God and will forever if we die in that sin, unforgiven. There is only one who can forgive us. His name is Jesus, who took our sin and went to a cross and died to make that payment, was taken down and buried in the tomb, and three days later, he rose again victorious. He told us it was going to happen. The prophets said it was going to happen, and he has fulfilled it completely. And now he's alive. And he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to those who will believe and who will receive him. This is the victory of the gospel that we're remembering today in this covenant time of renewal and this remembrance in communion. Jesus said, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. 
It's given for you. And therefore, as often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. The one who foretold and fulfilled the gospel, the great victory of God that's still saving people who believe. For Paul told the Romans in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The rest of this series in the Gospel of Luke will continue to unfold the details of how that victory through the Gospel has been and is now being fulfilled in the lives of every person in whom Christ comes to live for his glory and for our joy. Lord, I thank you for this truth. In a day when it seems that so many we love are passing off this earth, it helps so much to know that it's all part of your eternal plan, that they aren't really dying, that because in Christ they're made alive. And they left their bodies here behind they've gone on to be in heaven with you. And they're going to live with you forever and bring you glory. And you're going to see your glory in them. Those of us who are here on earth have been entrusted with a message. The most important message ever given. A message of the gospel. The good news of the great victory in the gospel that was foretold and fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, you're coming again. That's still part of what you promised that is yet to be fulfilled, but you're coming again. And we who live today are going to be deployed as witnesses into the world to be sure that everyone hears the good news of this victory, the victory of the gospel, the very gospel we're remembering today at this table of communion. So God, be honored in this time of remembrance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.